Yo, 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 this your boy E. Hud, God's MC, and you're listening to MTMV Sports. Keep it locked. Peace. Y'all already know who it is. It's your boy Loso, man, and y'all listen to the number one sports podcast out, MTMV Sports. Y'all see it. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Countdown to the Championship. I'm your host, Ed Robinson, alongside my co-host from MTMV Sports, Rick Sincere. Hey, Rick, welcome aboard. Hey, man, how you doing, brother? Man, all is well. We've got a lot to talk about right here in the Countdown to the Championship. It's settled. We have Super Bowl 53 taking place at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium between the the New England Patriots and the Los Angeles Rams. But before we go into detail about these teams and the matchup, let's start off with the NFC Championship game. And let me just be the first to say, Rick, there were a ton of twists and turns in this game. Now, the NFC Championship game was between the Los Angeles Rams and the New Orleans Saints. It was at the Mercedes-Benz Superdome in New Orleans. And you know that crowd is rocking, always one of the toughest environments to play in the National Football League. I will say this before we go into the infamous call that everybody's been talking about. The Rams really had the Saints number for a minute. The Saints were up 13 to 3, or oh, I'm sorry, I believe it was the Saints were up 13 to 10 uh at going into halftime. So even though the Saints had the lead at halftime, Rick, I got to tell you, the Rams were right on their heels. I mean, they were. It seemed like they were <clears throat> it seemed like they were right on their heels. However, it seemed that when when Drew Brees threw the touchdown to Taysom Hill and the Saints were able to take the 20-10 to 10 lead, I believe, at that point, that's when I and myself, real talk, jumped up, ran through the house thinking I'm for sure headed to the Super Bowl because I didn't see the Rams, like, making up that loss so quickly. I don't know if you did, but I didn't. Yeah, you're right about that. I didn't see that coming either, and then I thought – even though, but I thought even with it being twenty to ten, I thought the Rams were really still in in length. They were still really in reach of getting the Saints. And after it was twenty to ten, the Rams got in the red zone and they were able to get a touchdown from C.J. Anderson, and the score wound up becoming twenty to seventeen. And after the Rams got another field goal, it was tied at twenty. Now. The play that everybody's been talking about, Rick, with a minute and 50 seconds left in the game, Drew Brees throws a pass on a third and 10. The pass was intended for Tommy Lee Lewis. Nikel Roby Coleman was the defensive back that was uh, attempting to make a play on Tommy Lee. He hits him. Hit. We, we, we know we are, everybody knew what happened. The hit was right to the head and the neck area. No pass interference penalty was called. What were your thoughts when you saw that play go down? Man, I thought immediately um, we wouldn't see, like, as soon as it happened, I thought, okay, cool, this will be a late flag. Like, the flag will come, but it's not right now, you know what I mean? So, as, you know, as I'm living in the moment, though. So, if I'm in a moment, it happens, I see it, I'm like, okay, cool, they're going to drop the flag. And then there's no flag, and I'm like, okay, well, they won't let the next play start, like, the flag's coming, and there's no flag, and then, like, it's forced down, and the field goal unit's out. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, everybody in America saw it. It, it was hands down, straight up, the most egregious situation ever. However, there was no call, and we know once they move on to the next play, that's a wrap. And so I was like, wow. Like, like I thought it was so obvious. I thought there was no way in the world we could possibly – like not get that call, and, and the Saints just didn't, and, you know, kind of forced them to move on. Yeah, you're right about that. We're going to talk more about the aftermath in just a little bit, but in the meantime, Will Lutz was able to nail a field goal to make it 23-20, but the Rams, that offense was potent all year long. Jared Goff was able to get a big first down from Robert Woods, and then, of course, Greg Zerline hit a field goal to 
send the game into overtime. So we get to the overtime period. Now, Rick, here's what's interesting. On the first play of the overtime, the Saints won the coin toss. Drew Brees throws a pass, and his pass is intercepted. Did you like the call, or do you think they should have ran on first down? Man, to be honest with you, um, a lot. what a lot of people aren't really paying attention to is that Ryan Ramchek and even Larry Warford, um, as the season went along, they got less great. I would say that they weren't as great at pass protection, hosting uh, offensive line, because they had been through so many injuries and coming back from injuries. And so um, I thought that it was a great play by the Rams defense putting pressure on Drew, right, and then also, um, you know, catching the pass because that's a twofold thing. At the same time, you have to look at it, bro. Like, um, when when I see I, – I, I think it's okay to throw the ball, especially with the matchup. I thought it was okay to throw the ball. However, right, um, you got to make sure that, 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 pass, that pass protection is sewed up, and it just wasn't for the Saints. And that seemed to be the trend towards the end of the year. Um, and that was a missed call on that one, too. That's what a lot of people aren't saying. There was a missed call there, too, because he hits Drew Brees' um, his face. He hits him in the face when he throws the pick, right? Um, so – I mean, that was another missed call. All right, so Drew gets hit in the face. Um, ball floats in the air for a mighty long time, and Rams linebacker picks it up. And on the, the Rams get the ball back, and on a big first down, I mean, Jared Goff had intense pressure on him from the Saints' defensive line. Two pass rushes are on him. He gets rid of the ball just in time, and he completes a, a big play to get a first down through the tight end, Tyler Higbee. So after several several possessions, the Rams are well in field goal range, and Greg Zerline kicks the game-winning field goal to send the Los Angeles Rams to the NFC Championship. Rams would win 26-23. to Now, the storyline we know, Rick, is all about the Nickel Roby Coleman, uh, the, pad, the missed pass interference penalty on Tommy Lee Lewis. But also there were a lot of things – that happened in this game. If there's anything that you could take from this game or anything that was missed, what would you take from this? Well, okay, cool. Everybody in the world wants to talk about the the pass interference, and I get that, and it was egregious and it was wrong, right? Um, but the three takeaways for me were really the other three chances the Saints had to win the game. One uh, was the first chance – was after they kicked that field goal to go up 23-20, to 20, they could have stopped the Rams from getting into field goal range, and they did not. The Rams quickly got into field goal range and then kicked the game, tying field goal to center in overtime. The second thing that people, you know, don't want to talk about as much is Drew Brees getting a chance, right, in overtime to bring his team um, to the Super Bowl by just driving the length of the field and scoring a touchdown, right? That could have happened. Tom Brady put in a similar situation, which we'll talk about later. Tom Brady in the same situation got his team to the Super Bowl by driving them down the field. So um, that was Drew Brees' chance. That's another takeaway for me. And then the third opportunity to win the game was the interception, stopping them from getting in the field goal range, which they almost did but didn't. And then once they got in the field goal range, um, then, you know, they kicked the, the game winner and then complete silence in the state of Louisiana. And so – I mean, those are three takeaways for me. It was the three chances we didn't take advantage of, or the Saints didn't take advantage of to win the game. All right, quickly what before we go. Well, the one takeaway takeaway for me was clearly again the overtime period. I really thought that the Saints should have came out running in that first possession in overtime. They were very they were deep in their own territory. And when I saw them go for a pass on the first down, I was like, wow, they're really going for the gusto because I thought, okay, you have uh, Kamara was not running the ball well in this in this, in that particular game. But Mark Ingram was hit and miss, but he the last couple of possessions that he had, he ran the ball pretty well on the last drive that they had before they went into overtime. So I really thought they should have came in, ran the ball, Executed, you know, executed much better. Should have had started off conservatively before they got into that classic Saints-style offense with going, going for it all, passing, and you know, going, to, you know, going attack down the field. That's one thing I take away from that. They should have came out a little bit more conservatively, conservatively to start the overtime period. Next thing I got was defense was not great at all, but of course the Rams' offensive line—they've been consistent all year long. 
I don't know all of the names on the line, but I know there's uh, Andrew Whitworth, there's uh, Roger Saffold, and there's also John Sullivan. And then you have the other guys on that line as well. So when you have, I always said the key matchup in this game was going to be Rams offensive line against the Saints defensive line. Sheldon Rankins wasn't there. Um, and then there were also uh, Anzalone. I mean, Cam Jordan did what he could do, but that Rams offensive line is very tight, and they were very key. Again, the running game was not that great for the Rams, but they did just enough to get some yardage from C.J. Anderson. Todd Gurley scored a touchdown in the game. And then Jared Goff played a solid game. He matched up against Drew, and he handled his business in the Dome. And, again, another thing that I take away from was the Saints secondary. They couldn't hang with the with the Rams receivers. Brandon Cooks played extremely well. Robert Woods had a solid game. The tight ends filled in nicely for the Rams with Tyler Higby and also Gerald Everett. And it was just, you know, that was a one another takeaway. And then one more takeaway I have is the Rams' defensive line against the offensive line. You mentioned earlier, Rick, about the offensive line not being in its best within the last month of the year. Aaron Donald and Dominican Sue. Uh, Michael Brockers, uh, Dante Fowler Jr., they handled their business, and they got in Drew, Brees, Drew, Drew Brees's face. And that was one of the strategies coming in. They had to get in Drew, put pressure on Drew early. That's what they, that's what they did in that, in, you know, to get the victory. I know people talk about the call, but remember, there was still more, more of a football game to be played. So those are some of my takeaways from that game. Well, our takeaways from the game in the NFC Championship game between the Los Angeles Rams and the New Orleans Saints. Again, the Rams would win 26-23. All right, Rick, now we had another overtime thriller in Arrowhead Stadium. Again, another hostile environment, one of the toughest in the National Football League where you had the New England Patriots going up against the Kansas City Chiefs. What we saw with the Rams and Saints had some defensive stops. This was basically an offensive showdown from start to finish. Basically, uh, again, this was Patrick Mahomes' first AFC championship game. I know the nerves were there, but overall he looked he looked pretty well for his first time. The running game was okay for the Chiefs, but New England's championship experience came through, and a key play came late in the overtime in the overtime period. I mean, late in the uh, before the end of regulation when Tom Brady connected with uh, Rob Gronkowski, and then uh, Guskowski, I believe, got the field goal to send it into overtime. Before we go into the overtime period, your thoughts on on the AFC Championship? Man, so overall, I thought the AFC Championship was a great showing of old versus young. It was like young, you know, um, vibrant cannon from um, Patrick Mahomes versus the cerebral approach of uh, uh, Tom Brady, right? And so you look overall at the two teams, um, I thought for sure that the um, Kansas City defense would have a problem with, with Tom Brady. I just didn't know if Tom Brady had enough weapons to overcome them, right? So um, he had Julian Edelman true and Chris Hogan true, Gronk, absolutely. But um, they are missing the outside weapon ever since they lost Josh Gordon. And <clears throat> I just didn't know if he was going to have what it took to, to overcome the offensive firepower of the Kansas City Chiefs. And Brady showed again, like he always does, that not only does do they have enough weapons, right, um, but he's always, always going to be somebody who you have to, like, you know, match up with and, and overcome. And it's going to be tough to overcome Bill Belichick and that team. And so I looked at that from, from one aspect. Um, the other thing that I love about the um, championship game is, that, yeah, the Patriots kind of got out to, um, you know, to a lead. However, in both games, right, great games, great matchups, and they both went in overtime because the teams were close to evenly matched, which is a reason why some people love the NFL, even over college at times, because based on the parity, it all plays out, right? You have to play it out, and there's nobody kind of picking, you know, who's going and who's not going. So I love the way that it played out, I man. I love the – the AFC um, championship game. I thought it was good. And then at the end, I really love the fact that Tom Brady shows once again, like there's a reason they called me the GOAT. And there's a reason why, um, you know, number one, whenever the players rank me, like there's a reason why. And, you know, some people hate on that, but it is what it is. Yeah, you're right about that, Rick. And Tom Brady definitely showed off 
that championship experience when it came down to the overtime period. Again, he connected with one of his targets, Rob Gronkowski, on a big first down, got him on a first and goal, and then we know how the game ended with the touchdown by Rex Burkhead, and it would send the Patriots to their third straight their, their third straight Super Bowl in three years. So we've seen this time and time again. There was a lot of things that I took out of that game. One of that game, one of the things that I took from that game was the Chiefs' defense was not ready for the Patriots at all. They were able to make some stats, to make some stops against the Colts, but they weren't playing the Colts. They were playing the New England Patriots, and you yeah. know we we saw again the defense was just not up to par. Brady, Belich, uh, Brady Gronk, and Edelman, also Sony Michelle ran the ball really well in this game, and I don't know that was one of the things that I took away from this. What did what else did you take away from this game? Man, one of the things that I took away from this game that I thought was crazy. Um, and most people took it away too, so I'm not the only one who saw this, was Tony Romo. If anybody had a stellar performance for the AFC Championship game, it was like, you know, play caller or, you know, I don't know what to call him, Nostradamus, um, color comment. Like, he's ridiculous. <laughs> Tony Romo had the time of his life with this game. He was predicting oh, yeah. plays as if he were watching a replay. Like that's kind of where he was with it, right? Like, and and then he would he would say stuff like, um, "Yo, oh, in this situation, I know he's gonna have to go to Gronk if you look at the ba 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 ba, right?" And the next thing you know, down said Hut Gronk with a catch. I'm like, "What? Who does that? Who mm-hmm. can do that?" And honestly, I thought that America would get tired of Tony Romo after last year with him predicting stuff or trying to predict things, right? But man, like. Sometimes it takes a year or it takes some time for you to come into somebody's new style. And Tony Romo was on a different level. So if I took anything away from the game, I mean, granted, we'll get into the football stuff, but if I take away a thing that, like, most people enjoyed from that game is watching Tony Romo in his element doing his thing, and he killed in that game. Yeah, he did kill in that game. And you know what, Rick, I've I've, I've liked him. This is only his second year of doing – the analyst work at CBS, and he's good. He's really good. I think him and Jim Nance are only going to get better as the years go by. So, uh, wow, yeah, that was an interesting observation. Tony Romo uh, definitely did his thing. Now, every winner, in every game there's a winner and and then there's a loser. We're going to talk more about the winner throughout the course of the show, but the loser, the Kansas City Chiefs, where do the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes go from here? Man, um, only up, only up. This is, I think the Kansas City Chiefs are probably the scariest team right now in the NFL because, well, look, I'll say this. Do you remember the Jaguars last year? And when you saw they were on defense, they were young, they were ferocious, they were like, you know, braggadocious, arrogant even, swagged out, right? Um, They were only missing a quarterback. And this year, they didn't go fix their problem. They doubled down on the problem, and this year it showed. So here's my thing. On the flip side, with Kansas City, how do you approach the offseason? When you go into the offseason, do you address the problem straight up and try to fix your problem, which is your defense, right? Injuries, of course, but there's problems on the defense. There's problems at linebacker. There's problems at cornerback. Ever since, you know, getting rid of Marcus Peters, right, who's now, like, somewhat vindicated because he's in the Super Bowl. But if you look at um, <clears throat> if you look at that secondary, they need help. And so the defense needs help. There was a reason why Tom Brady is able to overcome you. Do you go answer your questions, your problems, your situations? If you answer them in offseason, then, okay, cool, Kansas City's on their way. But if they do like the Jaguars and just double down on the problem, right, then um, they may find themselves – always close, but never able to overcome, which is Andy Reid's story at this point, and it needs to be something different for Andy. Definitely. I mean, Andy Reid is one of the most revered coaches in the league, and I think he'll he'll get his ring eventually, but you're right about the defense. They've got to address the defense. Kansas City, they've got the goods. They've got a lot of young talent. They're going to be around, and they are going up, but they got to address the defense. Well, we're just getting started right here on Countdown to the Championship. When we come back, me and Rick will discuss the in more into detail about the NFC champions, Los Angeles Rams, and the AFC champion, New England Patriots. He's Rick Sincere from MTMB Sports, and I'm Ed Robinson, and you're listening to Countdown to the Championship. 
At this point, mm-hmm. education is the most important mm-hmm. thing in your lives. The successes of tomorrow are built upon the actions of today. So anyway, I looked the principal right in the eye, and I quit. <laughs> so he says, I'm going to fail. I said, I flunk. I give him one of these. Just one question, Mr. Westwood. One question. Mr. Westwood, just one question. One question, Mr. Westwood. Mr. Chaz, what are your plans for the future? Education lets you live your dreams, so you don't have to dream your lives. Tough it out. Stay in. When it comes to our children and families, we do everything we can to play it safe. Did you know the single best way to help safeguard from flu and reduce the spread of the flu virus is through annual vaccination? Families Fighting Flu is devoted to protecting your family against this serious and potentially deadly disease. Our commitment comes from our organization's personal experiences. I lost my five-year-old healthy son, Joseph, to the flu. The flu poses a serious risk to everyone from the young to the elderly. But we know that flu vaccines can save lives. Increasing the number of flu vaccinations by just 5% could prevent nearly 800,000 illnesses and 10,000 hospitalizations. Help keep your family and your community safe. Together, we can fight the flu. Get yourself and your family vaccinated this year and every year. For facts and tools, visit familiesfightingflu.org. All right, everybody, welcome back to Countdown to the Championship. Again, I'm joined by Rick Sincere from MTMV Sports. And now, Rick, let's talk about the NFC champion Los Angeles Rams. I'll tell you what, and only the organization's second year back in Los Angeles, the Rams have had certainly a major, major success. And, again, this is only their second year back in Los Angeles. Well, this, with the second year that back with the NFL being back in L.A., and I tell you what, they finished with a regular season record of the 13-3, and finished first place, winning the NFC West. They uh, earned a home playoff game this year, beating the Dallas Cowboys. And a lot of things that have happened, but, man, we have to start off with uh, a guy who can, is a potential, who could possibly win his second head coach of the year award in Sean McVay. We'll talk more about Sean McVay in a minute, but the Rams overall had a an effective year this year. They had a great year this year. The, the Rams were neck and neck with the Saints of who would be one or who would be number two in the NFC. Your thoughts on the Rams? Man, I absolutely love the Rams. Um, and if you listen to MTNV Sports, if you listen to anything that I do, um, you've heard me at least talk about the Rams a little bit because um, you just have to look at the overall makeup of their team. They were playing Madden this off season, like and everybody else was playing real life. They were playing Madden, which means that you go out and get whichever player you want, right? They were playing Madden and they cut off all the restrictions on Madden games, like so. Since they got um, Akeem Talib, cool. Then they go Marcus Peters, cool. Then they're like, yo, and Donna and Sue is out there. Why even worry? Just go get him. So they got him too, right? Um, they plugged every great player that they can get. Um, earlier before that, they go and get a Brandon Cooks. I mean, they just were loaded. They they were loaded. And the crazy part is, um, as Saints fans, nobody knew that all the moves they were making this offseason would literally affect you, right, would literally touch you, and you would have to see it and deal with it. Um, but at this, it, it came down to that. It came down to Saints versus Rams. And all that firepower, people don't, don't know that in the offseason – that NFC, that NFC championship game was won. What do you mean by that? Well, in the offseason, a player like Ndamukong Sue was trying to figure out where he was going to go. You don't think it tips the scales if Ndamukong Sue chooses to play for the Saints as opposed to the Rams? He was in the backfield over and over and over again in that game. He would have been doing that for the Saints if he had chose New Orleans. So I think the Rams are set up perfectly with the right players. On top of that, crazy setup with the coaches. Wade Phillips, 
Sean McVay, man, they're set up great. So I don't know, man. That's my thought. What do you feel? I feel the same way, too. Again, the Rams really were locked and loaded. The Rams really offensively picked up right where they left left off from last year with a Jared Goff, Todd Gurley, who was the league's leading rusher last year. The one thing that they didn't have on their running game was a power back, a bruiser, and they got him later, late in the year with C.J. Anderson. C.J. Anderson was in free agency. He was an Oakland Raider. The Raiders got rid of him, and C.J. said it himself. He wasn't so sure if he was going to play football again, but the Rams really hit the jackpot when they got him because, you know, Todd Gurley was really their every down back. He plays basically 85 to 90% of the plays in running back, but when they got C.J. Anderson, boy, what a relief that was in the Rams running game. So one of the big things I took away from this year was the signing of C.J. Anderson. It came late in the year, but it came at the perfect time for the Rams' playoff run. And then I love their two tight end set. With I mentioned the guys earlier with Tyler Higby and Gerald Everett. Also, the receivers are great. Brandon Cooks is, a, is in a league of his own. Robert Woods is effective. Josh Reynolds was great. Um, um, I'm sorry, I said uh, Josh. I believe his name is R.J. R.J. Reynolds, I want to say is his name. I have to double-check, but he was effective as well. Josh Reynolds is his name. I got it. So it's Brandon Cooks, Josh Reynolds, and uh, Robert Woods were great this year. Cooper Cup was solid in maybe the first half of the year before he went out for an injury for the rest of the year. I was a little worried about the Rams' defense. We know the with high risk comes high reward. We've seen the risk already with – not so much Aaron Donald, uh, not so much Michael Brockers, but with Dante Fowler Jr. and Dominican Sue, we know what problems that they've had also. And we know about Mr. Marcus Peters. We know all about him and Aqib Tlaib. But, again, high risk comes high reward. And it's paid off as they've made a trip to Super Bowl 53 to take on the Patriots. Before we talk about New England, I want to go through briefly, Rick, uh, the Rams' regular season schedule that they had. They start, the year started on September the 10th. Basically, the Rams went undefeated for a good portion, uh, good portion, a good first half of the year. They beat the Raiders, then they beat Arizona, they beat the Chargers. They had a, a stunning game at the Coliseum, the Thursday night game. They beat the Minnesota Vikings 38-31. And then they went to Seattle and beat the Seahawks in a tough game, one of the toughest places to play in the league. Then they went to Denver, won a close one at Mile High, tough place to play had no problems with the 49ers, and they beat Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. Now, before we get to the rest of the Rams' regular season schedule, the Rams lost to the Saints in the Dome 45-35, to and they fell to 8-1. At the time that this loss happened, did you think it was a step forward or was it a step back for the Rams? Um, I thought it was It was a probably a recognizing of equal powers, and so nobody really knew – Okay, you look at the Rams, they were gathering up a lot of names and a lot of power, and they had a great coaching staff. You didn't really know that the Saints had an equally as effective team. Nobody knew that, right? Nobody knew that. Because you saw the Saints, they got whipped in that first game, and then they went on a little bit of a run. And you didn't think they can really match, like, toe-to-toe with the Rams because the Rams had a bunch of great names, plus a tie girly. And the Saints, you know, they were good, but – you didn't know if they had enough. That game was a recognition of power on both ends. It was like, yo, for the Rams, they didn't know who their enemy would be. And then they, they realized that game, oh, if we're going to overcome anybody, we'd have to go through the Saints in order to get there. So I think it was possibly, um, you know, a step forward. I mean, I say this, uh, it was a retreat to advance so they can understand that, hey, if we're going to deal with the Saints team, we need to um, load up a little bit more even. So I look at I look at it as something that was good for the Rams. They did lose that game. It was good for them, though. It didn't feel like, you know, they did lose some momentum, but only so they can gain understanding. All right, so then after the loss to the Saints, the Rams were able to regain their strength. They beat the Seahawks at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum in a close game, and then who, no one will ever, ever forget the Monday night game in L.A. between the Chiefs and the Rams. The Rams would win 54-51 to in overtime. And 
I'm sorry, that, that game didn't go to overtime. It was 54-51, to 51, and certainly that was an emotional game for the Rams, Rick, because this was on the heels of the wildfires out in Southern California. So the Rams had a lot to play for in that game. Yeah, they've been playing. Um, they've been playing for the state of California, and and I know that the fan base isn't as passionate as it is in New Orleans or like it is in Kansas City, right? Um, but they have been a, a rallying force for that community, and so they're still playing for that community, um, from what I'm seeing. And you know, the, the community's trying their best to get behind them, even though um, it seems like you know, it, it seems like they just don't have exactly what those other teams have. But I'm pretty sure it's going to be easy to get behind a winner. You know what I mean? I think I think that's something that's about to, to take place. Okay, so after the barn burner or the shootout that they were successful in beating the Kansas City Chiefs, they go to Ford Field, beat the Lions. Then they had back-to-back Sunday night games. They lost a tough one to the tough Chicago Bears. And then another Sunday night game, they lost to Nick Foles and the resurging Philadelphia Eagles, but they were able to end the regular season beating Arizona and then beating the 49ers to get home field, get the home playoff game. So that takes care of the Los Angeles Rams. Now let's get into the juggernaut known as the New England Patriots. Their regular season record finished the year at 11-5. and They won the AFC East. Similar to the Rams, they got a home playoff game in the first round. Now, I'm looking at the schedule right here. The the Patriots did not – their season was not as smooth sailing as the Rams, and they didn't put up as many points as the Rams where they were able to be effective. So they start off the year against the Houston Texans. They beat the Texans. Then they lose back-to-back games to the Jaguars and the Detroit Lions. And then after that, they beat Miami. They went on a, a winning streak where they beat the Dolphins, Colts. Now, the game I want to talk about, the Rams beat the Chiefs on a Monday night. The Patriots played the Chiefs in week six on a Sunday night. Patriots won that game 43-40. to this, A lot of people said this could, have been a, could possibly be a preview of the AFC championship. Your thoughts on that game in week six? I think that game showed us um, a lot. I think it really showed us a lot. Um, about Patrick Mahomes, one, that he wasn't going to cower to um, a Bill Belichick defense. So he wasn't one of those first-year starters who was going to be controlled by Bill or kind of strung by Bill. He was actually going um, toe-to-toe, and, and you were going to have to go there with him. And so I thought he did well in that that situation for Patrick Mahomes. However, it also showed me um, it was kind of the first of his big matchups with other great quarterbacks where he would lose in those those matchups. He went toe-to-toe with Phillip Rivers and lost, goes toe-to-toe with um, with Russell Wilson and loses, goes toe-to-toe with Jared Goff and loses. And so um, it showed me that Kansas City was getting there, but it kind of made me feel a little bit more on the side of um, New England whenever they met in the AFC Championship game because I felt like Patrick Mahomes and this Kansas City Chiefs team and Andy Reid still – they're not ready to take that next step and overcome a great quarterback in a, in a big situation. All right, so after the Patriots took care of their business on the Sunday night beating the Chiefs, they had a tough game at Chicago, but they would go on to beat the Bears, then they would beat Buffalo, then, of course, another Sunday night game, Tom Brady would go on to beat Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, then a loss to the Tennessee Titans, and then they would come back strong. They would beat the Jets, and they would beat the Vikings, then they had back-to-back losses against Miami and then a big loss at Heinz Field against the Steelers. People were really worried about the Patriots after that Steelers loss. What were your thoughts when you saw that loss? Did you think the the Patriots still had enough juice, or do you think their playoff hopes were in trouble? I thought they were done, bro. Like, um, if you remember, Gronk just looked bad, like, I mean, it just looked bad. Like, the whole situation looked like they were done. They weren't the same Patriots team. Brady didn't look old. He just didn't look as effective. The team just didn't look um, dangerous at all. Not like some team you have to worry about. And I know better. I know better. The world knows better. Like, we know Tom should should be there. He'll be there, you know. But it just looked like shades of, of you know, they were falling away. 
Like this is shades of the end. This is a precursor to the end. And then just like he always does, right? They showed us that we were wrong. But yes, I thought that playoff I thought that playoff chances were a little bit I didn't think it was in jeopardy because I know they'll win the division. Not their playoff chances. I just thought their ability to get to the Super Bowl or ability to do well in the playoffs was over. Yeah, I was feeling that same way too, but it was a reversal of fortune because the Steelers had a big win, had a had a big game the following week against the Saints, and the Steelers' playoff hopes were definitely dashed after that. But lucky, luckily, New England was able to put the pieces together and would win the final two home their final two home games of the year. They beat Buffalo and they beat the New York Jets. So that's where we stand right now with both the NFC champion and AFC champions, the Patriots and the Rams. When we come back, me and Rick will go into detail about the two Super Bowl quarterbacks involved in the game. He's Rick Sincere from MTMB Sports, and I'm Ed Robinson, and you're listening to Countdown to the Championship. Hi, this is Terry Bradshaw here to remind you that rheumatic diseases like rheumatoid arthritis and lupus are important to know about. One in four Americans has a rheumatic disease, and I'm one of them. And if you're like me, folks, you don't have time for arthritis to slow you down. Between being a sportscaster, making movies, and checking things off my honey-do list, I'm busier now than I've ever been. Flare-ups aren't fun, which is why I follow the orders of my rheumatologist. Eating healthy, staying active, not smoking, taking my meds and managing my stress all keep me going. I've also committed to my health by taking the American College of Rheumatology's pledge to live well with rheumatic disease, and you should too. Know the signs, get help, and take care of yourself, folks. Visit simpletax.org to take the pledge to live well. When I was in high school, I was physically at school, but my mind wasn't at school. I had problems at home, and that's hard when you feel like you're doing it alone. That's when I met Narnese, my mom, as I call her. She started helping me a little bit, like, me. I don't know what you're doing with your life, but your future is more important. She's my strength. Just being a support for those hard days and those hard nights, not giving up on me. Thank you to my mama. I wouldn't have did this if it wasn't for her. Today is for my mama and everybody who had my back. It takes a village to help somebody get their diploma. Some people think, well, maybe it's really not that big of a deal, but it really is. It changes your whole life. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. All right, everybody, welcome back to Countdown to the Championship. All right, so now, Rick, we've got, we've got to talk about our quarterbacks in the, soup, in, the, in the big game between the New England Patriots and the Los Angeles Rams, Jared Goff and Tom Brady. Let's start off with Jared Goff, Rick. Now, Jared is only in his third year in the league, but, wow, you talk about on the come up. I mean, his rise has been so and he's gotten so much better in such a short amount of time. Let's talk about his college career when he was at Cal. What were your thoughts of Jared? Um, actually, the crazy part about Jared Goff is I really didn't pay attention to him until it was around draft time. And so there were a lot of pundits at the time who were saying that this guy was going to do extremely well once he got into the league. However, um, they didn't know how he dealt with pressure at times. That was a thing. Um, and they didn't really know – um, they, <clears throat> it wasn't like he was the second coming, so nobody put the um, Andrew Luck stamp on him. Nobody put, um, you know, that type of stamp where that he's going to be the next guy up, right? And so we were kind of like, you know, kind of left to wonder if he was going to be anything. I think the real story for Jared Goff kind of came after he entered the NFL and looking at him in his first year and not seeing um, anything in him that, you know, you would – 
put the stamp on him and say he's that guy or, or saying that he's going to be the next great thing. Like, he just didn't look like – he looked like a bust to everybody, straight up. He looked like a bust after his first year in the league. And so um, that was kind of more the story for me, and that's probably most of the – that's more the story for most people, right? They knew him after that first year, looking at him that first year, seeing him and not believing. Did you believe? I, I really didn't believe. I, I knew Jared would be a solid quarterback in the NFL. I really thought the offense would revolve around primarily Todd Gurley. And it's still – I mean, Todd Gurley is a huge part of that Rams offense. But I didn't think Jared Goff would come in and really, really, really take an initiative to the offense. I said, okay, I see a guy that's going to be – I looked at him as a game manager. I said to myself, I said, okay, well, he's going to be a game manager. He's going to do enough to help the team win. But if he's going to begin and end with Todd Gurley. But that's not the case because Todd Gurley is playing his position, but Jared Goff, I mean, statistics this year, his passing yards during the regular season, he passed for 4,688 yards, and he had 32 touchdown passes and 12 interceptions. I was not expecting this at all, but – He's he's come to play it, and he's going to be the future of the Los Angeles Rams. And I know Sean McVay's got to be happy and got to be thrilled with his development in such a short amount of time. But I did not see him, I did not see him developing like this and being a Pro Bowler and things of being a, a two-time Pro Bowler. I didn't see this at all. Again, I looked at him as solid game manager, wouldn't turn the ball over too much, and would do enough to win a game, but. Tell you what, Jared Goff is, has made a, a believer out of a lot of people. And I want to ask you, do you think – I know we know about the great – do you think he benefits more from his receivers or do you think he benefits more from having a, a great running back in Todd Gurley? I think he benefits more from having Sean McVay. Like, of anything, it's the innovation of Sean McVay's offense that allows for um, – for equal distribution of the ball for one, right? So he is using a lot of Todd Gurley. He has that too. The crazy part is Jared Goff has right now everything he needs to succeed in the league, right? He has a He's young. He has a young coach, and they have a great relationship. That's one. Two, he has a great running back in Todd Gurley. So, like, if you're looking between the receivers and Todd Gurley, I think it's equal because you have a Todd Gurley who can run the ball through, um, you know, um, between the tackles, but also catch the ball out of the backfield and be an ex- effective weapon in the passing game. And then three, you have receivers, but you have different receivers. You have receivers who can get open, like who can get open in short intermediate routes, right? You have a possession receiver in the Cooper Cup, also a, um, a Josh Reynolds, right? And then you have a burner on the outside where you can um, test the defense deep in a Brandon Cooks, right? And then you have that intermediate route runner, um, the route running specialist in um, and what's my boy's name, man? Oh, man, it's on the tip of my tongue. So, um, golly, uh, what position man, does he play? I said his name, too. He's wide receiver. He's, he's a um, he's the second wide receiver. So, Brandon Cooks and then – Robert um, Woods? Robert Woods, yeah, Robert Woods. Which is, Robert Woods is, is phenomenal as well. Coming from Buffalo, nobody saw him coming. Nobody saw his abilities shining like that, especially in Buffalo – now in Los Angeles and in this system by Sean McVay, now we really get to see Robert Woods do his thing, right? And so I think he's just in a perfect situation. Great coach, great running back, great wide receivers. I mean, and now with C.J. Anderson, man, I love what's happening for Jared Goff right now. So I would say um, if you ask me that question, who is it, um, I say Sean McVay number one and then an equal between the wide receivers and the uh, running back. What'd you, what would you say? Okay, well- I would say it's a it's a combination of McVay and the players, because co- I think it takes a balance where you got to have coaching and you got to have the talent around. Because sometimes I've, we've seen a lot of teams, Rick, and the talent is there, but the coaching is not there. And sometimes you can have the coaching, but the talent is not there. But I think it's a balance for the Los Angeles Rams. Really a ba- a balance for Jared Goff. So we'll talk more about Sean McVay later on in the program, but now let's get to the other quarterback involved in this game. He's done this before, and he's going to do it again. Tom Brady or Tom Terrific with a TB12, whatever you want to call him, still 
getting it done. This year, he had 4,355 passing yards during the regular season. He also had 29 touchdown passes and only 11 interceptions. Tom was only sacked 21 times this year. So he, again, a typical Tom Brady season. Tom Brady back in uh, rare form. It, It didn't look like that really in the beginning of the year because the Patriots, in my opinion, they played in spurts. The beginning of the year was tough for them. The middle of the year, they got into a streak, and then they lost two big games towards the end of the year, and their playoff hopes were in trouble. We didn't know if if the Patriots were even going to get a home playoff game, but it turns out they wind up getting it done. So with Tom Brady being back in his position, what what is your thoughts on Tom Brady, and what still makes him so great? Goat. Um the goat like and i have a we at mtmv sports we have a, like this store right and in the store we have this one shirt called goat status <clears throat> where it's just basically um it, the shirt says goat status and when i think about who's on goat status like who's the greatest of all time i think about tom brady and i think about him overcoming all obstacles to be the goat right like even after the game, um, him and I think it was Chris Hogan shared this embrace, and they're like, yo, you're too old, and he's like, you're too slow, and they go back and forth with it. And you just look at Tom Brady, he's just – he's phenomenal, man. His competitiveness is crazy. So if you ask me what I think about him now, still as competitive as ever. That's one, right? Um, two, his arm strength hasn't diminished to Peyton Manning levels. If you remember that last year with Peyton Manning where you could yeah. see he had straight noodle arm. Right, and if you look at Drew Brees, and I don't want to say this because I hate it, and I know New Orleans people don't want to hear it because they they hate it too. But <clears throat> towards the end, if you look at um, Drew Brees when he was throwing deep balls, noodles like it wasn't great. It just wasn't great. Like you, look, he he had a wide open. The reason the first play of the Philly game, the reason that gets picked off, is because he didn't have. And you know, your boy was beat. Like Ted Ginn was wide open. If he would have let him, that's a touchdown. But because of his arm, right, it's a pick. So you look over all at that situation, man. I look at Tom Brady. I don't see him um, aging as much, right, as competitive as ever, and still with the ability to turn a bad situation into a, enough to get to the Super Bowl. That's crazy. That's crazy. You lose Josh Gordon, right, you only have Chris Hogan and Julian Edelman, right, and, and look what he does. Man, GOAT, the greatest of all time. Yeah, rightfully so. Another thing I wanted to add about Brady's continued dominance, and people don't, excuse me, don't really mention this, is the offensive lineman that he's had over the years. I think what another element of Brady's success, no matter the season, no matter what year, it, no matter what the, the new year brings, Tom Brady has always had great protection. He hasn't been injured much throughout his career, and he does, and he gets sacked, but he doesn't get sacked very often. And I think you got, I put a lot of credit to his offensive line for protecting him. Um, Belichick and the coaching staff. We'll talk more in the detail in the next segment, but I think they they do they have and they continue to do a great job of protecting him. Even he's only forty, he's forty one, but he's still. Again, like you said, he still has the arm strength, but I think a lot of the credit goes to his pass protection, his offensive line. Yeah, I mean, he always had great protection, and then his ability to get the ball out, and then even when he's holding on to the ball, which I've seen him doing those amazing Tom Brady plays, he can hold on to the ball a little bit longer, but he still has that, um, you know, that ability to not be sacked in the pocket. His pocket awareness is very high. And then his ability to move in the pocket is very great. And so, and it's still there. It's still there. And so you look at him, um, man. Tom Brady is just—he's phenomenal. And I hate that we live now in a generation where people can't, people don't celebrate greatness or celebrate goatness as much as they should, right? Um, most people look at it and they hate the Patriots outside of Boston, and they hate them because they keep on winning, as opposed to celebrating the greatness and saying, look, he's so great. He's winning all the time. He's doing his thing. Why not, Why don't we celebrate that? But we live in a hater generation, and that's kind of what it is. And so uh, when I look at him, I, I mean, I just see absolute greatness. 
You're right about that. You you hit all the right points, Rick. And uh, coming up next, speaking of greatness, we'll talk about two great coaches involved in this game, Sean McVay and Bill Belichick. He's Rick Sincere from MTMV Sports, and I'm Ed Robinson, and you're listening to Countdown to the Championship. Get it. Get it. Get it. Get it. Get it. Get it. She gonna get it, Daddy? She'll get it. Get it. Get it. When you bring home a Goodwill find, you give your whole town a reason to celebrate because you're also funding local job training and placement programs in tech, healthcare, and more. Goodwill. Bring good home. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. This is what high blood pressure looks like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. I can't button up a shirt. I can't run. I've had to learn to swallow again. That's the only movements that I have. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. Had I done this, had I done that, hell, I messed up. Get back on your plan or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhpp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. All right, everybody, welcome back. Okay, Rick, now let's talk about the coaches in the big game that's going to be taking place. We've got Sean McVay of the Los Angeles Rams and, of course, Bill Belichick of the New England Patriots. Let's start off with Sean McVay. At only 33 years of age, he's the youngest coach in the NFL, and he's also the youngest head coach to ever coach a Super Bowl game. So um, he's been around for a minute. Again, this is only his second year as the head coach of the Los Angeles Rams, but before he took over the Rams job, he was an assistant wide receivers coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He also was a quality control and wide receivers coach for the Florida Tuskers. He was an assistant tight ends coach and a tight ends coach and offensive coordinator for the Redskins. He was he served six years with the Redskins and he is currently the head coach of the Los Angeles Rams. He was last year's NFL coach of the year. So Sean McVay has done a lot in such a short amount of time. When you think of Sean McVay, what is what are one of, what are some of the things that come to your mind with, with what he's done with the Los Angeles Rams? Well, one of the first things that comes to my mind about Sean McVay is innovation. So when I look at Sean McVay, I think innovative offense. Um, I think young Sean Payton, just a new way to approach attacking a defense. And he's done it so well, right? And so um, he takes great advantage of his wide receivers. He he knows exactly kind of how to attack a uh, um, a defense, and he's always in a position of scoring. Like he's scoring a lot of points often because his offense is so innovative, and he's not afraid to do you know something new or something different. And so that's one of the things that I love about Sean McVay is that um, he's innovative. The other thing that comes to mind about Sean McVay is his ability, yo, his stupid, crazy, dumb ability um, to recall. He has recall ability like, you know, like something crazy, right? And then he shows all the time how much he studies. He studies a lot, and he's able, during his press conferences, listen to him talk, man, obvious. It's clear that he has full respect for his opponent and he knows their ability. And also with knowing your strengths, 
comes knowing your weaknesses and, and his ability to attack a defensive weaknesses. Our defense's weaknesses are insane, and they're on the level of a um, of a Sean Payton. The only thing difference between a, the only big difference between a Sean McVay and a young Sean Payton is humility. And I think this this guy Sean McVay shows a lot more humility um, than the Saints coach. Yeah, indeed. And I'll tell you what, uh, Sean McVay has done amazing things with the Rams in such a short amount of time. Now, he's going to be going up against a legend and a man who's been consistent since he's been at the helm at the New England Patriots, Bill Belichick, five-time Super Bowl champion, three-time NFL Coach of the Year. Um, he, he, we know about before he got to New England, I mean, before he became the head coach of the Patriots, we know about his time with the New York Giants, he won two Super Bowls, and I mean, he's, he's just had a story career, and he still continued to get it done. When when it's all said and done, what can be said in your opinion about Bill Belichick? Man, I think if if you if we ask like if I were asking you this question, I think me and you would say close to the same thing. I'm always I'm pretty shocked most of the time by some of the stuff you do say though, real talk, but. Um, because I think I think the way you kind of come at it is always different, but I still feel like we would both say that he's one of the, he's the greatest coach ever, right? Like he's him, and that's what makes this whole marriage between him and Brady so cool. Because at the end of the day, you'll say that he had a big impact on the game. That's one. He not only impacted the um, NFL, but also the college game, which I'm gonna get into in just a second. But he always he makes the right moves, knowing when to get rid of players and knowing when to keep them. He has done a phenomenal job of shutting down whatever the best thing is that you do. I remember, like, time and time again, whoever you're – like, for instance, if he were playing the Saints, he would shut down um, the Michael Thomas without even – that wouldn't even be a thing, right? He shuts down whatever you do well. And that's always been his thing. And with that strategy, he's been great. Another thing he's really done well is hiring great assistants. Like, he's been great at hiring great assistants and then getting those assistants to the next level, right? You look at his coaching tree. Nick Saban is a part of that coaching tree. Al Groh, uh, Romeo Cornell is a part of that coaching tree. Josh McDaniels, who's every every year he's like a, a you know, a commodity, right? People want to know if he's available. He's even, you know, thinking about moving on now. He is a part of that, right? Um, Bill O'Brien, Matt Patricia, he has great ability to, to not only pick great assistants but also get them to the next level, right? So I think at the end of the day, we're going to revere him as the greatest coach of all time and um, somebody having the, like, you know, the best impact or the biggest impact on the game. But let me ask you, do you, do you feel the same way or, 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 you know, do you take it a different route? I kind of feel the same way. I mean, we've seen a lot of great coaches that have come and, you know, they have come and gone, but there have been coaches that have come and really made their mark. Before Belichick really had that had that marriage with Brady and, of course, with the owner, Robert Kraft, I thought as far as one of the greatest coaches of all time, if NFL standards could have been Bill Walsh. Bill Walsh was the innovator of the West Coast offense, what he did with the 49ers, taking the franchise from nothing into something. As far as NFL standards are concerned, again, it was Bill Walsh. But but Bill Belichick has definitely, is, is, well, I shouldn't say is going to, but he has surpassed him. So he's definitely one of the greatest coaches, in, not just in the NFL, but probably in, in, in history. Him and Nick Saban as countless others, but I feel I feel with definitely what you're saying. I think uh, Bill, Bill Belichick is def, definitely up there. Yeah, so for me, like that's that's been my vibe with with Belichick is that he is. I mean, the hoodie the hoodie's the best. Like he's the best. <laughs> um, I hate I hate I hate him in post game conferences. Like I <laughs> I don't like it. Um. <laughs> And I don't think a lot of people do. Like, I don't like listening to him talk about um, the games. Some people love him because they they get him, but I I hate the fact that he's so he keeps things so close to the vest. And I also hate that his legacy will be slightly tarnished by cheating scandals. And I think people will talk about that. They'll talk about 
um, the cheating. They'll talk about the spy gate. Um, they'll talk about deflate gate. Um, they'll talk about a few of those things, which New England seems to, like, you know, keep getting involved in, but also keep skating away um, the problem. So, I mean, those things will tarnish him a little bit. But if there's not another cheating You can go ahead. All right, well, that's what uh, Rick was saying about Bill Belichick and the coach. When we come back from break, we'll uh, talk about the legacy. When we come back, stay tuned. You listen to the countdown to the championship. At this point, Mm -hmm. education is the most important Mm -hmm. thing in your lives. The successes of tomorrow are built upon the actions of today. So anyway, I look the principal right in the eye. All right, quit. (laughs) So he says, I'm going to fail. I said, I flunked. I give him one of these. What are your plans for the future? Education lets you live your dreams, so you don't have to dream your lives. Tough it out. Stay in. They said it could be some kind of food allergy. My muscles ached. I was tired all the time. It happened like that, a full-blown asthma attack. It was scary. The unsettling thing about some symptoms is... A fever, headaches. I had these red, itchy welts. You don't always know what's causing them. It was Lyme disease from a tick bite. I had West Nile virus from a mosquito. A reaction triggered by cockroach allergens. Bed bugs. Threats to your health can come from the most unexpected places. Mosquitoes can transmit West Nile virus and also Zika virus. Ticks can carry Lyme disease and Rocky Mountain spotted fever. And allergens from cockroaches can trigger asthma attacks, leading to respiratory distress. Don't wait until you or someone you love is suffering with unexplained symptoms. Get the facts you need to protect your family. Visit pestworld.org. All right, welcome back, everybody. Before we close out the show we and before we give our predictions, Rick, we got to talk about the legacies of both of these teams. Let's start off with the Los Angeles Rams. Now, you mentioned earlier that the fan base has not been strong since the NFL has returned to Los Angeles. If they get this win, what does this mean for not just the NFL being in Los Angeles before the Rams? I expect that the teams will – I expect that the people of Los Angeles will definitely get behind the team. Um, I think it will be declared a success, a successful return back to Los Angeles, which is already, I think, is a success. I think once they, um, you know, kind of settle in, I think it will be um, a little bit more. But I, I feel like at the end of the day, I think it will be declared a success if they're able to overcome. Even if they're not, though, I still feel like this has been a successful return. Because you have a young coach, a young quarterback, and young weapons. So I also feel like this isn't the end for the Los Angeles Rams, and they'll be here again. Maybe, I don't know, maybe this is the turning of a century. If you remember the Brady or Patriots dynasty kicked off when they overcame a very powerful Rams team, and now you look at it, right? Who's the young guy? Like now the young guys for the Rams, right? And the older, powerful you know, thing is really hard to beat is now the Patriots. So maybe this is a changing of the guard type of game, and maybe Los Angeles gets behind that. Yeah, well put right there. And, of course, let's talk about the New England Patriots. We know about the history between Brady, Belichick, and, of course, Gronk and Edelman and all that have been responsible for the winning the winning of the, the countless Super Bowls. Of course, Robert Kraft has done a great job since he's been the owner of the team. What does this mean for the Pats? 
Man, um, I think this one is the this one is the underdog one. This is the that if you look at New England and what they've been taking on is even though they have so many championships, even though they're the juggernaut, they've taken on the underdog mentality and they've they've like galvanized behind it. Everybody's behind the underdog mentality. We're too old. We're too slow. We don't have enough weapons. We ain't got no defense. Like, they have now taken on, and it's funny and almost ironic and crazy for the New England Patriots to now be the underdogs. And they, they've taken it on fully, and now they're rallying behind this underdog cry. So this one will mean something to them because this is the one they shouldn't have gotten um, because they were too old, too slow, and too beat up to get. So it would mean something to, to Tom Brady. It's the epitome of the TB12 movement. All right, so now it's time for our predictions. You know, the big game is a game that's celebrated by everybody, not just nationwide, but worldwide. And we're going to have a great Super Bowl between the Rams and the Patriots. The Rams worked hard all year long to get to this point, and I definitely think they're going to give the Patriots a game. It's going to be close, and it's going to be great. But i got to roll with greatness on this one. I like New England to win by a last-second field goal. Tom Brady will get number six. I like the Patriots to win, 30-29. to Mmm. You're giving our scores, too? Okay, Eddie. Yes, yes. Ed, look at Ed, look at Ed. Okay, okay. Um, okay, here we go. Um, I like your explanation. I thought it was really um, – it made a lot of sense. I'm looking at uh, – I'm looking at the Rams, though, and I'm seeing the amount of weapons that they have. I'm seeing um, the amount of talent that they have. I'm giving it to, I'm giving it to the Rams, um, in, in a close one, like twenty-seven, twenty-four. I'm going Rams. Um, I just feel like it is time for a changing of the guard, and I feel like it's the Rams' time. And I look at the Rams very similar to the way I looked at the '09 Saints, where um, I see them coming of age, and if Ty Gurley is healthy and he's ready to rock. Then I, I see them overcoming. Um, I see them overcoming the Patriots, and so I'm going with the Rams on this one. All right. Well, you heard it from us. Those are our predictions for the big game. Real quickly, Rick, give the give our audience the information about MTMV Sports and where can they find him on social media. Look, super easy to find us on Twitter. Super easy to find us on Instagram at MMV Sports. Right. So it's um, my team, my voice, and so that's what that stands for. So it's super easy to find us. Um, and, I mean, we got, you know, a lot of content, a lot of, of stuff. Look, honestly, we're one of those podcasts where if you subscribe to our podcast, you're going to get something new almost every day. So it's every day or every other day you're going to get a brand-new podcast, um, and we cover all sports, so boxing, MMA, um, football, and basketball. Um, so, I mean, just kind of like – slide through, right? And so I, I, I love MTNV Sports because it's powered by the people, made for the people. So, I mean, check us out. Well, you heard it from him. That's Rick Sincere from MTNV Sports. I'm Ed Robinson. Thank you so much for joining us right here on Countdown to the Championship. <laughs>